Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hello, listeners. So one of the shows I've been truly obsessed with lately is Lennox Hill. It's a docu-series now streaming on Netflix, and it takes us inside a New York City hospital where we meet four doctors and we get an intimate insight into their professional and personal lives. The next interview is with one of those doctors, Amanda Little Richardson, who at the time when she shot Lennox Hill was the hospital's chief resident in obstetrics and gynecology. As I watched the show, Amanda just blew me away. It was her work ethic, her relationship with her parents, how she handled her own pregnancy. And I just fell in love with her personality. She's such a force of nature and truly inspiring. And the response she's gotten from the show certainly attests to that. In this interview, we catch up on what life is like for her now since she moved to California, how her young daughter is doing. And we also go back to her own story how she came into the world of medicine, the challenges she faced as a woman of color, and also why she never second-guessed having all those cameras film her and document every second of her life. So settle in. Here is Dr. Little Richardson. I absolutely fell in love with Lennox Hill and with you in particular. Oh, thank you. So I am very, uh, very happy that you agreed to talk with me and take time out of your uh, schedule and your new job and everything. So let me just say that right off the bat. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I feel like I'm amongst a, a list of celebrities to be invited to your podcast. So thank you so much. Well, you've become your own celebrity. Are you kidding? Um, and I know all the li- all my listeners and your fans want to know are very eager to hear about how the move cross country, New York to LA or California, I should say. Um, how are you doing? How was it? Catch us up. Um, it was it was really good. Um, you know, the main thing was like, how are we going to get Ava on a plane for six hours? But she was actually a complete pro. And so I think once landing there, California is beautiful. So who can really complain about, uh, you know, sun, 80 degree weather all year long? You know, we actually have a full looking back at the show. I realized how small my apartment was when I used to think that it was, you know, a, a mansion in terms of New York style but here I live in a full house so in so many ways my life is upgraded but you know New York will always have a special place in my heart I think you really can't beat like the energy the vibrancy I love taking the subway I love walking everywhere Um, watching the show again for me 
what I had a lot of nostalgia, just even seeing like the pride scene, you know, there's all these just festivals and it's wonderful, but California is good too. And I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I do remember that scene when you're like, look at my view and you're those two windows and you are like getting ready to move. And I was thinking to myself, wait till she gets to Cali. <laughs> I know. It's good. I mean, I have an orange tree in my backyard, so that's excellent. That's so awesome. (laughs) Did you find yourself having any insights about your performance as a doctor or just even about yourself in general watching yourself for eight episodes? I mean, what was that like? So I think it's surreal uh, to see myself on the screen. Like I'm not an actress. So, you know, you, I think that as humans and, and definitely as like females, we are over tend to overanalyze ourselves and be super critical. So, you know, when I was watching it, I was seeing more negatives, um, but then watching with my family, watching with friends, the feedback I've heard from others, you know, it's been all positive. And so in, in that sense, it's been kind of reinforcing to me, like, okay, this was a long path, but, you know, a lot of people have benefited from my care as a physician, you know, seeing myself on screen, others have been motivated to go into medicine, um, but also motivated to continue to provide compassionate care to their patients. Um, and so for me, it was kind of, um, even for myself, just a reminder to continue on this path um, and to continue like working with patients. And I'm really glad it was wonderful to see like some of my old co-workers, to see the hospital itself, you know, now that I no longer live in New York. So it was all positive, um, but surreal at the same time. Yeah. Did you learn? I mean, that's one thing that was interesting about the show in particular is they never had you guys intersect. And I kept waiting. Well, well, wait, is where's Dr. Langer? Is he going to come to the baby shower? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't interact. Right. So I didn't know them until actually like the photo shoot for Netflix. You know, our paths were on different floors, you know, even though, um, you know, they didn't show this aspect of um, my residency training, which is gynecologic. So we do do surgeries like cyst removals from ovaries or hysterectomies. And so I'm in the same kind of operating area as them, but we're in different operating rooms. And so I had only met Dr. Buckfarb one time. He came and spoke at a conference for maternal health. But other than that, you know, we are in separate worlds, truly. (laughs) Did you have any moment where you were like, get these cameras out of here? Why did I ever do this? I mean, because it was incredibly intimate. I've had I've had two kids and I do know (laughs) that moment when you're hearing the heartbeat for the first time and Mm -hmm. you're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, you repeatedly go in for these tests and it is very it can be very uh, stress inducing and also a beautiful thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then when you're giving birth, that's a whole different story. But was there any moments for you where you're like, wait a minute, get these cameras out of here? So I will say that for my personal life, I didn't have any moments where I um, felt that the cameras were invasive in any way. Um, I think I wanted to show kind of black families. I wanted to show when I did find out 
the potential complications in regard to my pregnancy and possible health effects for Ava. I actually thought it was even more important to continue showing that because a lot of women do go through that and it's not a commonly talked about experience. Um, and so for my personal life um, and actually the delivery, I see deliveries all the time. So I didn't have any problem showing my own delivery. Um, and I thought it was great. And I was, and again, it's only one cameraman. So it's not like lights and all this extra stuff. So it's very non-invasive. Um, but I will say that, you know, times when I was probably tired of the camera was more when I was physically tired as a resident, like on some of my night shifts, um, just because I'm like, I'm not doing my makeup. I'm barely going to do my hair. I'm, this is probably not camera ready. <laughs> um, but other than that, really no issues. It was a perfect process, honestly. I did love that they caught you in that little, like the the room you slept in. The chief room. <laughs> <laughs> That's the chief room, by the way, for the fourth year residents, that closet. <laughs> but there's a bed in there, so we can't complain. <laughs> yeah, that all those scenes in there I love because you're like, wait, wait, that's not her apartment. Oh, yeah, no, she still has all her stuff. Wait, oh, that's exactly. And then when you have that one minute, and maybe because I'm in Hollywood or whatever, I did love when you're like, let me catch up on my celebrity gossip. And you are on it for one second, and then the alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> I love celebrity gossip. I really do live for it. Oh. It's like a highlight of every day. Who do you love? Who are you following? Who will, will you always click oh. on? Oh, gosh. Who I always click on? I will always click on a Kardashian. <laughs> always. I love Chloe. Love Chloe. Um, I will always click on Ryan um, Gosling. Um, you know, I think he's such a great actor. I love all the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. I follow everything. Everything. Now, why, why, <laughs> why Chloe over Kim and Kendall and? Oh, gosh, that's hard. So why Chloe? So I, I always felt like she's just very genuine. Um, she's always just struck me as that. That's just my personal bias. Um, I think that she handles herself really beautifully. I also love that she like has taken such charge of her fitness, but like in a really healthy way, I feel like, and, and something that I personally can follow. And I just love her relationship with her daughter. It's just so obvious that, you know, that is her focus. And I'm, I follow her on Instagram. Every picture is just beautiful. And so I'm, it's no reason they're all awesome. Right. But (laughs) this is just the person I love following the most. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. Um, All right. So what has been one of the things that has moved you the most or surprised you the most, either or, or it can be both, by the reactions people have had to this show and how people view you and your exchanges Mm -hmm. kind of before and after Lenox Hill? Mm -hmm. So I think um, the things that move me the most are kind of uh, messages that I've received from other um, mothers whose children also have Noonan syndrome, um, you know, sharing their stories and how um, seeing me go through that process has been encouraging um, because it is a unique community of a kind of a rare genetic syndrome. And so emotionally, I've been moved by those messages the most. Um, I think that I've been encouraged by the number of, you know, African-American um, Black women who have just said they loved seeing me on the show, um, that I was like really inspiring to them. 
Um, I love getting the messages from med students and residents who are just starting out. I feel like I get a lot of like intern messages so far. Um, and they're saying that they feel reinvigorated um, about this road of obstetrics and gynecology or medicine in general. Um, so that has just been really reinforcing and positive. And I, that was the main goal of me participating, just to show a, a different image of how medicine is. It seemed like there's a, a lot of people who had distrust of the medical industry or hospitals, physicians, nurses in general. And I did want to kind of rebuild that physician-patient relationship in a small way. Mm-hmm. There's there's one scene that particularly moved me in the, in the series, and it's when you're walking, it seems innocuous enough, you're just walking the halls of Lenox Hill and you stop and we see all these pictures on the wall. We've all seen those, maybe not at that hospital or another hospital or wherever we've, you know, been in any kind of those big corporate buildings. You see this kind of wall mm-hmm. of fame and you made a comment mm-hmm. that, wow, there's, there's no one on of color on in any of these photos, let alone yeah. women of color. Yes. Yeah. So I, that's, I was getting hot chocolate because the best hot chocolate machine was in that hot, like in that building. So um, I walk by it all the time. And, you know, I think that it's something that, um, you know, as a person of color, we're just more sensitive to, do we see other people that look like us? And it, you know, that was reflecting on the whole history of the hospital. And so I know that there have been, um, African-American, minority physicians of, of all creeds at Lenox Hill in the past, you know, Northwell Health was just identified as one of the most diverse, you know, hospital systems in the country, you know, but in this one example, it wasn't as represented. And I've got that from a lot of people that that was a particularly moving scene. And it's just something that was on my mind when I passed. And I think I took that as a moment to reflect because this was a unique opportunity to bring things like this up. You know, are women in these places of power, are people of color in these places of power? Because we do bring unique perspectives to medicine, to patient care that only can improve um, people's experiences and the health care we provide. What, what's been one of the biggest challenges or what what was one of the biggest challenges that you faced being a woman of color coming up through medicine, whether it's in medical mm-hmm. school or in your residency, mm-hmm. internships, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the biggest thing is constant doubt and multiple layers of doubt. So, you know, whenever you get into medical school, I think almost all black students can probably say this, that someone has said that you're only there because of affirmative action, not because you did well on your test scores or you did well in undergrad. It's almost like none of that matters, that you're only there because of your skin color to meet a quotia. So what they're insinuating is that you're not really equal to your peers, that whatever you contribute is like fake, it doesn't really matter. And so that those kind of instances, those statements, you know, feed into your own self-doubt. Like, am I supposed to be here? Am I smart? Or was this, did I only get in for X, Y, and Z? And those kind of doubts kind of um, are just insidious. They eat at you internally. Um, They cause you to, you know, draw back from situations and maybe where you should step forward. So I think that for me, and even as a woman as well, you know, if you look at all the chiefs of a department, if they're all men, how are 
you to be encouraged? Who's going to be your mentor to have you go into that space to be the assistant chair, the program director, et cetera? Um, so it's just battling a, a lot and carving new spaces. And I think that it is changing, but it's something that, you know, continues to be prevalent throughout medicine and all specialties. How did you stay focused and not mm-hmm. let that, especially when you, you don't see yourself mirrored anywhere, how, how did right, you stay right. stay focused and stay on point? And because it is yeah. so demanding, even under the best of circumstances. I have to say that, I, and this is highlighted in the show. So I have been supported by a whole village of awesome people. So my parents are amazing. My mom and dad, that's truly how they are. Um, they're saints in a way. Um, they provide me with constant positive reinforcement. They never say anything negative to me. They're always like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. We love you. This You're doing great. We're so proud of you. Um, and so if you always have that resource that you can come back to, I mean, that's always um, building up. And then, you know, I met Kevin when I had just started my medical training. So my first year of medical school. And so, I mean, uh, um, infamous thing we say is that on our like third date, second or third date, I said, you know, I'm in medical school. So if you ask me to choose between you and medicine, I will choose medicine. And he said, no problem. Like, that's not a big deal. I completely support you. But he didn't know he was signing up for <laughs> But I will say that despite that, he has also been constantly supportive. I mean, I have definitely had moments in residency when I have worked, you know, so many hours. I'm physically drained and have to go back the next day where I say, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And he would always say, no, you've come too far. You have to do this. You know, just go to sleep, get up and do it again the next day. So I have just been supported by the best people. And I think that's truly how I made it made it through. I mean, I love Kevin when he'd be talking to you and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, the alarm's going off. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That is like a crazy scene that he didn't even know about until the show. So (laughs) probably still happens. I was thinking, oh, that poor guy just got off a plane. I know it's like he he did a lot of commuting he would see me try to see me every other week he would take a red eye that's from California to New York at six hours you can't make it faster try you know traffic get home for an hour then half of the time I would be post-call and so I would go to sleep (laughs) so we would just sleep next to each other so it wasn't even that much talking but he just showed ultimate commitment to our marriage and our relationship yeah he's awesome I'm I'm in love with him myself I and the fact that he got lucky the fact that he was you know he was just fine with all the cameras and whatnot and I love the fact that you had your mother-in-law in the birthing room, like that is so extraordinary that you had your mom and your mother-in-law. And then when your dad, like his feet, that was pure, that could be pure comedy, by the way. I know. It's a very- I know. I know. So both of my parents are nurses and I think they probably talked about that a little. And so my dad was like, I'm a nurse. This is just clinical. I'm like, no, no you're not coming in. He's like, it's not happening. And then, you know, I didn't realize how many people would um, mention that my mother-in-law was in the room. So I really do consider my parents-in-law a second family. Um, And they're just as supportive as my, you know, birth family. And so I always kind of, how 
I personally viewed my delivery was kind of just surrounded by women and um, like a very intimate space. And so my mother-in-law is a very calm energy um, and just like a quiet strength. And so I knew that for me, she would be great in my delivery process. And so I invited her and she was happy to join. She's awesome. It was. (laughs) She is. (laughs) So I want to talk about your parents a little because we don't really know how, you know, you were raised and where you grew up. And obviously you said your parents were nurses, but how did you get into wanting to be an OBGYN? And Mm -hmm. where did that Mm -hmm. start in, in your early childhood to say, this is my path? So it's funny. So, um, I think that, you know, a lot of times when you have parents in medicine, you end up in medicine yourself. Um, You know, my dad, very little, um, always says, you know, you can be a doctor or a dentist. So, you know, for Ava, we will give her a little bit more choice. But that that was emphasized with me strongly. Um, But, you know, know, they're very religious. They're strong Christians. They really put an emphasis on helping others and caring for the community. Um, And so that is something that was instilled in me from an early age and for as I went through undergrad I was thinking about what is a practical way to help people and so for me uh, medicine is especially obstetrics you know it's like kind of a direct outcome you know you are able to help someone through their labor and so that's why I went into medicine um that was just something that was just strongly encouraged and it ended up matching me and who I am as a person very well. And you're that good at math. (laughs) I don't, you know, I mean, you take like the regular calculus and things like that. I wouldn't say I'm super good at math per Kevin, who's an engineer. I'm very bad at math. One of his things when we first started dating, he was like, your mental math skills are very poor. So he would actually start training me in the grocery store like a child. He'd be like, how much change are you supposed to get a man to tell me before the register? But it worked, actually. So I'm much, much better at mental math. But per Kevin, I'm not good at math. (laughs) So funny. Um, From... Obviously, when you started, you hadn't had a child yet. You delivered so many mm-hmm. babies. You knew exactly what medically to expect and the variations that can happen during childbirth. Now that you've given birth, do you look at the experience different? Do you feel like you have something else to offer your patients? So I feel like for me, my birthing experience was, I feel like, pretty straightforward. For what was different for me was my antenatal or the pregnancy experience. And so I feel like bringing that knowledge of, you know, what does it feel like to get bad results or abnormal results? Um, what does it feel like to go through the diagnostic or the invasive tests like the CVS or chorionic villus sampling or amniocentesis um, because I have felt that and that is counseling that is very unique and I'm able to bring to patients now. Um, But again, I was very lucky to be supported. I think the key for any delivery is just finding, matching yourself with a provider, midwife or OB who you feel comfortable communicating with and who you guys are on the same page in terms of the type of labor experience you want. You know, there are women who want to have elective C-section 
And then there are women, you know, who want to have very low intervention births. And I was definitely on the low intervention side. I didn't want much done um, as as medically needed. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I wanted someone who knew the knowledge, but then would support me and really only do what was medically necessary. So I feel like that's the key is matching yourself up with the midwife or doctor that you can communicate with and who's on the same page as you, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes, unfortunately, harder than it should be. Yeah, I just wish I would have known about that cute dress. (laughs) Oh, I got that from my natural labor class. (laughs) So I went to an eight week. So even though I'm an OB resident, I wanted to do unmedicated. um, And so I went to an eight week labor and delivery course um, led by um, midwife and doula at the Manhattan Birthing Center. And they even one day they're like, you know, and we like this this uh, birthing outfit, if you want to wear this instead of the gown, it's on Amazon, it's pretty cheap. And so I was like, that's perfect. So <laughs> I've gotten a lot of questions about that gown too. <laughs> pretty pushed, guys. <laughs> now, have you, have you had, uh, in your new hospital where you work and have you had any patients come in that have seen the show? Do you have your own little like fame kind of meter happening there? I, I don't think so. Not quite yet. I've had patients that I've seen in the office and in the clinic who at the very end, after we've finished our whole conversation, will be like, hey, just by the way, I saw you in the Netflix show and I think you're awesome. <laughs> but these are patients I've been seeing throughout their pregnancy. So, I mean, um, I'm sure there may be an increase in the number of patients that sign up with me, but not quite yet. And how's Ava doing? She's doing wonderful. So we're very, very fortunate. Um, You know, so far she has not had any problems like developmentally or health wise. Um, And so we're really grateful. She's we, me and Kevin keep saying every day, like, wow, like she changes, like her personality is really coming out. We feel like she just loves talking. She loves exploring, walking. Water is her favorite thing in the world. If you have a sprinkler on, she's going to run in it. So um, she's great. We're very glad for her and glad for her continued health as well. And how old is she now? She's 16 months. Wow. Cute. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So have you seen the bonus episode yet about Lennox Hill dealing with the pandemic? My mother-in-law just texted me today saying, you need to watch the episode. It's amazing. It's just... uh, the best. She said it's the best episode out of the whole series. So I said, I need to watch it. I've just been kind of crazy. I leave here and then Ava's time for bedtime. And then I usually go to bed only 30 minutes after her. So I'm going to plan my, the goal, me and Kevin set a goal to watch it this weekend. We're really looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. It was really good. And especially since we've all watched New York uh, was the epicenter certainly for so long we would watch that on the news constantly and it was amazing to go in and see the doctors that we had known already so well, obviously Mm -hmm. from, from watching them for eight plus hours to see how the hospital and how they personally dealt with this. Have you been dealing with much COVID at all in California? Um, You know, um, California, you know, I think at the start, you know, had increasing rates, like most of the large cities, you know, we have great leadership statewide and also as an institution, and that are really quick to initiate social distancing. Um, And so we've been fortunate in that, you know, I haven't 
I personally haven't delivered any COVID positive patients, you know, and we have some great policies in place to protect us as providers and the nurses, but also protect the patients. And so um, I, I think I'm really glad to live in the community I live in because everyone has just been so respectful, wearing masks, social distancing. Um, and hopefully we as a country can continue to do what's needed to save everyone or prevent as many deaths as possible as we unfortunately start to see an increase again. I know. The one thing that was so moving about this series is that you really see the medical professionals as people. You really saw the humanity and the struggle and then the generosity and the time that doctors give their patients and how much they care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that that came across. I think that people, you know, used to feel like doctors are just in it for money to make money. But, you know, really, you're right, there is a lot of sacrifice involved in that the only way to keep going is that you really do have to care about people and want the best for your patients. And there's a, a level of true compassion and sympathy to meet someone in a very vulnerable state, right? Because someone comes to you because they have an illness or a concern that they're trying to get better. And so I, I'm glad that this show, again, will hold hopefully improve that patient-doctor relationship, that patient-doctor communication, because I think that Lennox Hill showed that we recognize the kind of sanctity of that relationship that patients are bringing, that intimacy, that they're allowing us to come into their lives and meet them in this space, and that we respect them, um, and that we want the best for them to work with them according to their, you know, beliefs and customs and um, what they want for themselves as well. So what's left on the bucket list? I mean, come on. Like what, like for me yeah, personally? What now, yeah, so what now are your goals? Are, are like, how do you feel like making it through, uh, obviously, medical school and your residency mm-hmm. is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. As, as we talked about, it's, it's so challenging, even in the best of circumstances. You have this enormous platform because of the success of the show. You are, and I'm telling you this as someone that deals with talent all the time, you have that charisma that pops off the screen. You're incredibly watchable and inspiring. And Oh, wow. Thank you. So many positives. Yes, there's so <laughs> many positives. But what do you feel like? Do you, do you feel like there is a pressure to kind of do something with it or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I don't want to be complacent. I think it could be really easy to finish residency, to start working and then kind of fall into pattern. Um, and so I do feel challenged by the show coming out to reach my full potential. You know, is that working in healthcare policy? Is that working like within my organization to continue to help bring diversity in terms of our practitioners, in terms of our residents? And I'm still trying to figure out where that niche for me specifically is, but it's definitely a challenge and I'm trying to rise that challenge to really do everything I can. Like you said, to take advantage of this unique platform. I mean, for one, my social media, my Instagram really needs to like step it up. I only post like twice a week. So that's unacceptable in social media world. So I need to get on (laughs) Chloe's level, right? And get like good stuff out there every day. (laughs) Um, All right. My, my last question, I ask everybody this, uh, 
what kind of advice do you have for the ups and downs and and for young people that are considering medicine as as a career or they're in the midst of it and it's particularly they've received a particularly blow or they're just challenged by it what advice do you have yeah. for them you know so i think that for me i would say that most of those little tests, the tests that we take in undergrad, our chemistry test, our, even the MCAT, they don't really matter. What really matters is I feel like for me, I feel like the bulk of my learning truly happened in residency. And so you just get through those tests. You know, a lot of med schools are pass fail. So you pass, you take that as a win. Maybe it wasn't a 95, maybe it was a 75, but you still passed and you had enough information to keep going. And so keeping your eye on the, on the end goal which is the most important, all these little steps, even if you stumble, you just get back up, which is cliche, but it's really true. Um, you can't let one individual test ruin the large picture because at the end of the day, like you highlighted, it's really about your relationship with your patient. And so you want to have the medical knowledge to give them the appropriate care. But part of that is knowing when you need to refer out. Part of that is knowing what resources you can turn to. I mean, sometimes you have to say, oh, you know, I don't know exactly. Let me come back to you. Let me ask some colleagues. I'm going to make sure we figure out the best plan for you. Um, and it's humbling, but some, that's sometimes what you need to do. And so I think that, yeah, you know, I, that's like convoluted. The best thing to say is that keep your eye on the long road. There are small steps, little goals to achieve to reach your end goal, but it's very possible. And surround yourself by positive people who are going to be your cheerleaders for when the days are rough, which will happen, are inevitable. But when you have those people to lift you up, it will be possible. That's great. It almost <laughs> makes me want to go be a doctor. <laughs> Well, we welcome you. <laughs> but I could never pass the math, not even the mental math. <laughs> I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But uh, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> it was such a pleasure to speak with you. Great show. Great, great continued success. And I really look forward to seeing the kind of stuff that you're going to do, even if it's just more posting or whatever that is. Thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Thank you again for inviting me to be here. Of course. Thank you. Have a great you day. Too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company. <laughs>